1: High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelotas! Welcome to episode 197 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, the Giants struck out exactly 197 times in September of 2020. That sounds bad. Uh, At the same time, that was like their offensive breakout. That's when their fortunes started to turn a little bit.
2: Let's see. Well, that was the month that wait, twenty twenty. No, I don't remember anything from twenty twenty. <laughs> you remember Dickerson?
1: Everyone remembers the Dick, Dick, Dick chance. Oh, there were yes. a, well, a, a beacon in those dark times.
2: Although I think really I remember the Dick chance from. 2019, when there were actually fans in the stands who could chant them, when it was just the guys in the dugout and a bunch of cardboard cutouts uh, and Trent Grisham hitting walk-off homers uh, in visiting road parks.
1: Um, yeah, that's, that's the kind of dystopian stuff that I tend to flush from my brain. I mean, I just wrote about it, but the Trent Grisham walk-off home run, just it, it absolutely rankles me. It just sticks in my head like the Cars for Kids song, and I can't get it out, and I need the Giants to hit a walk-off home run just to, just to ease my pain.
2: You know, um, so I do three hits on CanVR every week. They'll put me on hold usually when, you know, there's about a minute to go in their break. Or sometimes they'll, they'll you know, pop me right on and they'll cut it close. But usually I'll, I'll have to listen to about a minute of commercials or an update. And it's comical when the producer says, okay, we'll get to you in just a second. Boom. And then I hear the, and then and then it's the Cars for Kids commercial. And a couple of <laughs> times, a couple times the producers come on later and said, hey, I'm really sorry about that.
1: I'm really sorry I did that to you. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think of how many times I've done this in my life. I probably leave close to 50 where I'm listening to KMBR and I hear the Cars for Kids. And I'll turn the radio off. And then 10 minutes later, realize that I never turned it back on. And I, oh, shoot. And then I'll turn it back on. Not during Giants games, but when I'm listening to, to some of the good hosts, it's, uh, I don't know if it's an effective money-making thing for that organization
2: total hard same I've done the same thing I've uh, the it'll come on and I it's like you're hitting snooze on the alarm clock I mean that my arm moves so fast uh, to hit the off button on my car radio and then yeah you're right sometimes I'll forget to turn it back on or I'll just you know listen to something else and uh, I don't have a very long commute I don't live that far from the ballpark so you know but I know that uh, that some people obviously are in their car all day long I'm fortunate enough that I'm not in that position but but yeah I do the same exact thing I'll, I'll reflexively hit that off button
1: and, and sometimes I don't necessarily make it back. But we are not here to talk about the September 2020 Giants, and we're definitely not here to talk about cars for kids we're here to talk about the 2022 Giants and uh they're confusing as heck I don't know what to make of them so I've invited a guest on who covers the Giants professionally his name is Andy Baggerly uh, <laughs> and I hope that you could explain these Giants because they have their last two wins they've won three or four their last two wins they've won by a combined score of 25 to nothing which seems good uh I'm starting to think they might be an okay team again but they they fooled me before. What are your thoughts on this team?
2: Well, I'm also going to outsource this, and I'm going to outsource it to someone who's smarter than both of us, which is far. Who is Farhan Zaidi, and he just spoke yesterday. Um, you know, prior to. Uh, their win uh, against Arizona, their 8 nothing win. Uh, no, wait, no, 8 nothing. Oh, it was 8 nothing by the third inning. It was the 13 nothing win. <laughs> and his his uh, expert analysis is to also outsource his analysis to Bill Parcells and, and quoted, uh, use the Parcells quote, which is, you are what your record says you are. And right now, uh, we're basically a 500 team. But they know that they're better uh, than they they've shown here in these last few weeks. They were in a playoff position, you know, before they went on this slide toward the end of June. And um, they believe they're capable of better. And I think uh, that's probably more important what they think than than what we think, uh, because they're the ones that can actually, you know, trade people or give away prospects (laughs) for a rental. I mean, is this team good enough to, you know, do what they did last year and give up prospects for a rental and go get, you know, Wilson Contreras, you know, so they can have all the Cubs at some point? Or, you know, is this, do they, they just let this group ride it out, uh, and you know I, I think it was if you're a Giants fan and you're concerned about what the front office is going to do, you got to be a little bit reassured by what uh, Farhan said uh, that you know if they're going to if they're in and around the same position at the deadline, either you know in or just outside the playoff picture, they're going to look to improve, and uh, and they're not really even thinking about selling. I think they they acknowledge that that is at least a possibility, and you have to listen, uh, because if this team loses, you know, the next 10 in a row, that would kind of decide things, but, and that's what he's got to say, right, he's got to come out and say that, uh, those those things, and, and take that tack publicly, but he's a guy who's been fairly honest, I think, with the media, and
1: I, I would take him at his word, That's that's the way they're looking at things. I have to fight against the knee-jerk analysis that I have after every Giants win, which is that, hey, when it works, it looks like it should. That's how it should be for every team. Every time they win, that's how it should be. That's how it should look. But with the Giants, it it feels a little bit different because they're built around two really strong ace-adjacent or co-ace starters. Uh, They have two strong starters behind them. They have a bullpen that has some measure of depth. They have a lineup that is built around platoon advantages and power, and when you have a bunch of right-handed hitters hitting home runs against a left-handed pitcher with an ace doing ace stuff on the mound. Yeah, that's kind of the template. And it's not science fiction to think, oh, this could work with a few tweaks, a few upgrades. If You know, this guy plays a little bit better if they get some help here. I don't know. It's so easy to fall back into that trap. That's why I led with the Giants being confusing because when they're playing some of their worst baseball, and boy, they've played some of their worst baseball in a couple of years this season, it just feels hopeless. But when it looks like the Giants of last year, say, it starts to make sense. You understand why they had the offseason. They did why they ran it back. And I don't think that this, well, I'm going to say it. The bones are good. I'm going to go there. Take a <laughs> shot.
2: Hit the bell. You're going to be an osteopath by the time we finish the podcast. <laughs> this season, I think. Um, just looking at this series against the Diamondbacks, and as we record this, it's uh, it's prior to Wednesday's series finale. It's a rubber match, and you know if this was last year's Giants team, they'd be going for a sweep today, and they probably would complete the sweep of a you know not that great team and there is a difference between last year and this year and that you look at Monday's game and and they were they were doing 2021 weirdness uh Wilmer Flores got a double that doinked off third base uh, you know they got a an infield hit you know they were drawing walks they were setting themselves up you know for the big comeback win uh they got you know pretty good work out of the bullpen i think they only gave up one run uh Yovera gave up one run after Alex Cobb gave up three early and they had a position uh, in position to win that game and then you know Brandon Crawford is just half a step slow on beating out a double play grounder that otherwise would have tied the game and they lose four to three and that you're going to have games like that where you Not everything is going to go your way. And last year, they won all those games, like all of those games. So the difference between last year's Giants team and this year's good Giants team is that they merely would take two out of three by winning this series final game against the Diamondbacks, which is fine. That's what you want to do. Obviously, you want to get greedy. Last year's team swept the series. This year's team needs to win this series. And the series is kind of hanging in the balance right now. And We'll find out uh, in a few hours um, if they are this year's good team or this year's
1: bad team. Ooh, yeah, it's one of the streakier teams I can remember watching. And I, I'm basing this on uh, anecdotal evidence. I'm basing this on when you go to the baseball reference page for the 2022 Giants, you see that little bar graph with the the green or the wins and they go up, and the red or the losses, they go down. And it just seems like there's a bunch of grains clustered together and a bunch of reds clustered together, and that this team is just maddeningly inconsistent. It's like a, it's not like the branded belt of baseball teams. It's It's like the injured Brandon Belt of baseball teams. They're just that streaky and that frustrating. I don't know how to test that. But so I'm asking you, I guess, is that your perception too? Or am I making up the streakiness? Because it's very easy to get confirmation bias and look for things when, when you're trying to look for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of depends on on what uh, sample you're looking at. I mean, if you're looking from week to week or series to series, I and mean, yeah, I agree with you. It it can they can look like world beaters, and they can look like you know they absolutely the uh, befuddliest team in baseball. But then basically just it's it's made them a 500 team in the aggregate I mean they were 13 and 14 in May they were 13 and 13 in June and they find themselves two games over 500 so yeah I think I I agree with with Farhan uh, that this is their identity right now and it's up to them to change that identity and if that means um, you know it's not win one lose one, but win five lose five. Well, they've got they got to break that pattern and uh, and start climbing because I think right now FanGraphs has them at about a forty one percent chance to make the playoffs. So the Cardinals are at uh, just under fifty percent. The Phillies are about thirty eight percent they got to be better than just a couple of these teams in the National League to to get in. I mean, the Mets and Braves obviously are in great position. I mean, we know the Dodgers and Padres are in very good position. Brewers are, are one up on the Cardinals in, in, in that central. Three pretty soft teams at the back end. you think that it'd be a good chance for, for two teams to get in from the central, but maybe not. So there's there's a lot out of their control, but you know, the, the biggest thing is that they're going to have to probably win, I don't know, uh, 86, 87 at minimum and probably closer to 8990 maybe to get into the playoffs. Uh, I'm I'm not sure, but um
1: are they capable of doing that? Yeah. Is it likely? I don't know. I don't remember talking to you about this. So forgive me if this if we're rehashing this, but are you offended by the extra wildcard slots uh, like aesthetically are you like, "Ah, it's fine. It you know, it gives us an extra series." Or are you uh against the extra the six teams making it in each league? I'm not against the playoff expansion.
2: I don't like the format, and I know they're going to change it eventually, but I don't like the fact that you could win your division and you enter with a di- with a different scenario than the teams that get buys. I think there should be more of a premium on winning your division because right now you could finish second and say, well, you know, we could still have a, a best of 3. It's not a it's not a knockout game anymore. And I think the fact that the wild card was a one game playoff Uh, really incentivize teams to try to win the division if they could. And I don't think that incentive is necessarily there. And I don't think it's fair for a team that wins the division to have to go into a best-of-three series. I, I don't think that's fair. I love what they do in Japan. I love the Climax Series approach where you would have, you know, a five-game series where the higher seed uh, enters with a one-game win, uh, with a one-game lead already. So the, the max games you could play is four. I just think there needs to be a more reward for winning your division. And and, and honestly, I think that's in the player's best interest because that means teams uh, that already are are profiling to be a playoff team might go out and spend more and do more
1: yeah that all tracks that all tracks and makes sense i i just loathe the sixth wild card i think that the previous format was fine and i feel dirty thinking about the sixth wild card is like well if they just you know if they they get 86 wins that they they might have a shot to get that that sixth spot i just don't like it but you know what we're talking about the the giants who in 1993 won 103 games without making the postseason so they're earned one they're earned one perhaps uh Perhaps this is the year that they take advantage of that. All right, let's let's switch gears to Logan Webb because uh, I it, this is like almost the year anniversary of Logan Webb starting to become a dude. There was a time in, I guess, May, he's on the IL. In June, he comes back and you're thinking, oh, he's pitching pretty well. In July is when he really started to round into form. August, September, he becomes somehow the unquestioned ace. And now he's pitching, like he never stopped. He's just Logan Webb now. I'm not taking him for granted, but it's just such a, a, a given that he's going to give the Giants good innings. Should he? have made the all-star team because I'm looking at the starting pitchers on the roster and I don't know who to take off. I guess it's it's Joe Mantiply, you know, one of the relievers. Uh, but at the same time, Zach Wheeler didn't make the team. So I'm not sure how mad Giants fans should be about Logan Webb. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: You know, for me, I was in San Diego when they were announced and, um, you know, normally what what they'll do, I think this happens at pretty much every every team, is they'll give us the information embargoed so we can you know talk to talk to some players pre-game because it'll be tough to get people post game everyone's it's getaway day and so they made the announcement during the game and and we we got a heads up you know when we walked in the clubhouse you know, we, we got a heads up from our PR official, and you know, we, we asked, okay, so who, who's gonna make the team? Are we gonna get to talk to whoever makes it? And we just got a look, and the look was, you don't need to talk to anyone. And we're like, what, what? It's like, yeah, no one's making it besides Jock. And the first person I thought of was Radon, and not Webb. I mean, I think Webb is, is certainly deserving. I mean, he's sitting there with a 282 ERA, uh, he's eight and three, uh, he's having, you know, another fantastic year. But uh, Rodon is just, I mean, by a lot of the um, sort of non-traditional metrics, he's the best pitcher in baseball. So that was the one that was obvious to me. And then when we, talk, we talked to him, you know, after it was announced and, and, and he said that he was, you know, probably more – Bummed for Dylan Cease, his, his former teammate with the White Sox, uh, who was an equally bad snub, I think, for the American League. And and Cease had not been to an all-star game where Rodon had made it last year. And I thought to myself, he's just so good. Someone's going to back out, you know, whether it's someone who starts on a Sunday or or someone who, you know, decides that they can't go or, or is nicked up or, or begs out. You know, and I guess Josh Hader has a family situation, so he's not going to go. And so, boom, Carlos Rodon is an all-star. Now, it would be really hard for them to put Webb on the team. They're not going to name him as a replacement because he is pitching on the Sunday prior to the break. So they just have to turn around and replace him with someone else. And they've done that before. But you know, I think you could argue that it waters things down a little bit. And 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 Logan Webb's such a chill dude. He's like, hey. I, win a win, buddy. Either I go to the All Star game or I'm, I'm relaxing and, and maxing in, in Lake Tahoe. So I don't think he's bothered by it. I think he realizes that, uh, you know, it's a great honor, but it's not something that's going to define him. And it would have been pretty bad, I think, for the Giants to only be represented by Jock Peterson, who's a guy that a lot of people think shouldn't be starting the game anyway because he's, you know, more or less a platoon outfielder. But, you know, the fans have spoken. They love the Pearls. And uh, so it'll be Jock and Radon. And I think that's
0: about right.
1: Not to get off on a tangent, but I I didn't follow the All-Star game voting as closely as perhaps I should have. I wasn't keeping track with the updates. So when Peterson was the starter, I was thinking, whoa, how, how in the heck did this happen? Was, was that the Giants fans coming out or was it a combination of, hey, the Giants had a little bit of, of juice, but then the Braves fans were saying, oh, this is our guy and he's hitting a lot of home runs. Let's get him in there. Was it, is it just kind of the right place at the right time for Jock?
2: Yeah, I think that it was kind of a. a, a, He got the right uh, kind of uh, coalition going between Giants fans, (laughs) Braves fans. Yeah, and and he's now going to be the Republican, uh, or sorry, the Democratic nominee for president, which is great too. So good for him. Good for him. I hope he's got a nice platform that I can support. I guarantee some Dodger fans wanted to see him at Dodger Stadium, too. Um, And I asked him, I said, okay, you put on a a Giants uniform, you go to Dodger Stadium, no matter who you are, you know what you're signing up for, you know you're going to get booed. But what if you're an all-star as a Giant, and you're going to be playing for the National League team? You know, the Dodger players will be your teammates. When they introduce you with your history, do you think you'll still get booed?
1: And he's like, um... Yes, probably. Probably I will. (laughs) Uh, Do you have any idea if he is going to be invited to the Home Run Derby? I don't think that those rosters are official. I haven't seen anything yet. I know he's not been confirmed yet. Uh, But the Giants, the last Giant to participate in a Home Run Derby was Barry Bonds, which was not a couple years ago.
2: Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. I mean, you got to have Home Run hitters, right? Although I would have loved to have seen Madison Bumgarner in a Home Run Derby. Heck Um, yeah! But uh, And I think he was kind of lobbying for it that one year right in San Diego. And, uh, and and then, you know, powers that be said, no, you're not going to make a joke of, of this already jokey enterprise of ours. So I don't know. I, I don't think Chuck really, well, I, I shouldn't speculate, but I'm not sure that he's really lobbying to get in it. I kind of don't expect it, but, uh, you know, we'll see.
1: I like that Albert Pujols is in it. I enjoy the Home Run Derby. I think it's a a fun little spectacle. It is a treat uh, to watch for baseball fans. And I like when they do quirky things, like putting Albert Pujols there. I get that he's 40-something, and maybe he's not the technical best home run hitter in baseball today, but I like that. And I like that Madison Bumgarner wanted to do it, and I would have loved that. I like it when they're doing quirky things. I'd love to see Adam Wainwright in there. But for my money, the biggest Home Run Derby snub that the Giants have had since Barry Bonds was Hunter Pence. He should have been in at least one home run derby just because his batting practice shows are legendary.
2: Yeah and you know I, I think back to you know Michael Morse would put on shows in BP. One time there was a group a pitching group and it was Jeff Samarja, who, who hit like a, has like the sixth longest homer by a giant in the StatCast era, by the way. Of course, it came across field, but still. So Samarja, who, you know, he didn't hit a lot of homers in his career, but the dude's an athlete. And he could, he could go toe-to-toe with Bumgarner in terms of, of tape measure distance and BP. And they had Sean Anderson, who's just a big dude, strong dude, and he would hit him a mile. And so Logan Webb tells the story about how he comes up uh, for the first time, and he's taking BP with this group of pitchers. And he's watching Bumgarner and Samarja and Sean Anderson just launching bombs. And he's like, wow, the big leagues are something else. I mean, this is, <laughs> that's what it's like up here. Wow, even the pitchers are hitting it, you know, 470 feet. So there are a few guys, though, that I think uh, have put on BP shows. And I guess we should touch on the fact that there was, you know, a little little fun story in San Diego, and, and Evan Longoria put it on, uh, where they had a little, uh, before the Saturday game in San Diego, they had a little team home run derby and 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 one thing i think that that maybe a lot of listeners don't know is pregame preparation has really changed a lot i mean you used to go out there the coaches would you know throw you the soft bp and and you, you basically you would would practice hitting against uh, you know a BP fastballs just to get your visuals right just to, to sort of envision the ball going over the fence and 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 just just see how the the background is see how the park plays and that was it but it wasn't really challenging and that's something that is different with this giants coaching staff they're like we want to make practice challenging so that's how you develop skills and so a lot of guys aren't taking BP on the field anymore a lot of them are inside they're they're taking BP off machines that calibrate pitches and movement and spin rates to try to mirror up against what they're going to face that day. And it's really, you know, the technology has gone uh, above and beyond where it's been in the past. And But it means that it's a little disjointed. You don't have teams all huddled around the batting cage anymore and, and guys all hitting at the same time or in the same groups. Uh, and you lose some of that camaraderie. And that's what Evan Longoria wanted to kind of recapture and just get everybody out there on the field rooting each other on. And so uh, Austin Slater hit the money ball. I guess it was a five-point pitch, if you hit the last pitch out, he got his to take the lead. Austin wins, missed his, and uh, and so Slater won. And and they were hooting and hollering. They were having a fun time. And it I think it did help them break out a little bit uh, when they came back and won those last two games in San Diego. So that was a fun thing to see. And you can tell that, you know, that's a team that They needed to do a couple things like that just to, you know, bring each other together because it's very easy with the individualized instruction and attention to kind of get lost in everybody's world and and not come together, you know, as a team. And I think you see that. I think that that comes across when you watch them play, when people say that
1: they're a little bit of a boring team to watch. You know, a little bit of passion,
2: I think, is probably a good
1: thing. Who is the batting practice hero of this team? Is there one who's st- – is it Austin Slater? Is, is he – because I know he's a big, strong dude. Uh, is he the batting practice hero of the team? You know,
2: Slater can hit it a long way, de- uh, deceptively. But Joey Bart hit one off the, the roof of the Western Metal Supply building. <laughs> and, I mean, yeah. If the Giants can figure him out, and he can figure himself out, and, and get to a point where he can start to drive the baseball – because he made two very, very hard outs – in the first game of the series against Arizona, and you think, oh, man, this guy, hes he can't get any luck. But, you know, he hit a homer um, in the second game, and, and he looks like he's getting a little bit closer. And if they could get him into, turn him into a guy where he really does become Mike Zunino and gets on a pace to, you know, maybe doesn't light the world on fire with the rest of his offensive stats, but but gets in a position where he could hit, you know, 30 homers a year,
1: I mean, that that'd be huge. That'd be huge for this team. But, yeah, Bart definitely had the most impressive swing. I'm trying to wrestle with how to frame this, but when it comes to the Giants in folding their minor leaguers into the everyday lineup or even just as contributors, that's the difference between, I think, the, the team that they thought that they would be and the team that they are now, even more so than the defense, even more so than the bullpen being a little bit sketchier than maybe they had planned, even more so than the injuries. It's at this point, I think that they thought Bart would be giving them something. They they kind of cleared a lane for Bart and they thought, okay, he's not going to hit 300, but if he can do 220 with uh, a whole bunch of bombs that's going to help us and also applies to Elliot Ramos because you look up and all of a sudden last night you have your mean Mercedes in left field batting third and it worked out he had four RBI but at the same time that was supposed to be if they had a need for a right-handed outfielder they weren't going to have to go looking around the the waiver wire they were going to get it from Ramos and so getting production from Anyone, whether it's Bart or Ramos or VR, that is going to be the difference between the team that they thought that they were going to be and the team that we've watched. If they can start getting some of the minor leaguers to do something that resembles anything, that's going to be a huge help. And Bart hitting a home run is probably a pretty good sign.
2: It's funny. I totally had a disconnect. I, when I saw that they got Mercedes, I thought, OK, they're so desperate for catching. Now that Kirk Casali is out until August with the oblique strain, uh, they're getting anybody who they could stick behind the plate. That, that's how I sort of saw that transaction. I think you're right. I think it's more about the fact that he's a right-handed bat and the fact that they picked David Vr to come up, I thought was more about Evan Longoria going on the IL and they needed someone to play third base. But it also is, you're right, a reflection on the fact that, you know, Elliot Ramos was the guy that they called up, you know, to make a spot start or two against a lefty and they'd send him back. and, And his production at AAA just doesn't warrant him continuing to be that guy, and they had to go out and find some other alternatives. And uh, you know, it's good to see VR get a little bit of runway and a chance. And and I think he's played you know pretty well on the whole. And uh, and Mercedes obviously uh, made an impact, uh, and that's something that Ramos hasn't been able to do this year. So and 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 really, I I think it's kind of fascinating to to look at this organization and how they value matchups. And you think. How good do you have to be as a right-handed hitting prospect to be an everyday player? Because Austin Slater in a lot on a lot of organizations would be getting 500 at bats this year. And when you're right-handed, you're on the short end of that platoon. You just have limited opportunities. And uh, how do they handle Elliott Ramos going forward? I don't think he needs to be just a, an okay major leaguer to be, you know, an everyday player with the Giants. I think he needs to be a really, really good right-handed hitter to become uh, something that sort of matches what his prospect status has been over the years. And, you know, I'm not really sure that you can forecast that happening.
1: Yeah, this is a good point because the Giants, they recently did the line change at the end of the game for Brandon Belt. They pinch hit for, for Brandon Belt. And I don't remember seeing that. And so it's, they're not going back. uh, They're not, they're they're getting more aggressive with the platoon and the line change and that sort of stuff in the late game. Austin Slater is, he hits left-handed pitching like an all-star. There's no question that he is one of the best lefty crushers in the, the league right now. And so I get it at the same time. Man, they are just not letting up. This is their identity. And, they're, it's, and so if you're a prospect and you're Ramos, how do you break through that? I don't think you do. I think Ramos, he's being groomed perhaps to be an Austin Slater type. Uh, and I maybe Luciano is going to be the guy, but I don't know, man.
2: And, you know, I, I think that is probably around the league. You think, well, I think definitely the threshold for what it takes to be an everyday major league player has changed. I think that the bar has been raised. You've got to be just a little bit better for teams to play you every day, or else they are going to look for matchups, especially with the Giants. I mean, the Giants are—that's just the way they're wired. I will say, with Belt, they did pinch hit for him in uh, San Diego once, and then they pinch hit for him in Arizona. And I asked Gabe Kapler why he pinch hit Slater for Belt when he had Gonzalez on deck, and Kapler came back with. And the obvious thing that I didn't even think of at the time, which is that uh, Belt was the third batter of the inning that Joe Mantoply was going to face. And so they were guaranteed to not go to the right-hander. It was the only way they are going to get the guaranteed matchup with Slater versus a lefty. Because if they waited and let Slater pinch it for Gonzalez, uh, then Mantoply would have faced his three batters and they could bring in the right-hander Ramirez. So, yeah, Kapler gave his answer and I was like, oh, yeah, well, duh. (laughs) Okay, never mind. Forget I asked. Oh, Major league managers always one step ahead. I just
1: I, just, I didn't like, think oh, of yeah, that. Oh yeah, the either. three batter
2: rule—that's still a thing. Yeah, that, that's somewhere in the recesses of my
1: brain. That is, as long as we're complaining about the expanded wild cards, uh, I I like the three batter rule. I think it's delightful. You do really. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I, I I thought I would miss the loogie and I thought that it was a, an overreaction. Uh, I kind of like it. I wonder if, have you talked to Kapler and asked him if he likes it? Because I think it takes a lot of that guesswork out because you can really limit how much uh, you're going to micromanage the game. And you're thinking more about, well, I'd like this matchup a little bit better than that matchup. So that's how I'm going to set it. I
2: think it's more valuable to a team that has the depth and has the options and can pin- pinch hit for almost anyone because, yeah, like you said, you, you're guaranteed – usually you're only guaranteed to have one matchup, and that's when a team makes a pitching change. And, you know, you know that that pitcher's got to face one batter. Well, well, now that it sort of triples that, that possibility. Um, so I think you can more safely get the matchups that you want without, you know, Turning the opposing manager into Tony La Russa and having him march back and forth and and, and carve a path uh, you know between the mound and the dugout. Um, so I, I would say it's to the Giants' advantage. And also they have pitchers that are pretty good. I think at, at at facing their lefties can get righties out, their righties can get lefties out. So they've definitely I think created a roster that can take advantage of that. And maybe they that's part of the reason why they created that roster because it's a, a reflection of of these rules. That's kind of what what Afarhan said team does. They operationalize within the rules as they are written. And if they change the rules, well, then they'll operationalize within those rules. So yeah, I I think they probably are okay with it. It sounds like it's here to stay. I'm I'm not sure if it's going to go anywhere.
1: Yeah, I, I I can't see. I think it's worked out fairly well. All right, this has been episode number 197 of the Bags in Brisbane podcast. We will be back on Friday. We'll know what happened against the Diamondbacks. We know what has happened against uh, the Brewers. I huh, wasn't expecting that. And we will be back then. And thanks so much for listening.